0: Hello and welcome along to the RT Rugby Podcast, our second rugby podcast here of the week on RT. If you missed it, I spoke to Ronan O'Gara yesterday, looking ahead to France against Ireland on Friday night in the Guinness Six Nations. That's available to watch or listen in all the usual places. Today, though, we have the Ireland team news and I have Bernard Jackman and Johnny Holland with me here because we're going to look ahead to Friday's opener against France in Marseille and a couple of big calls from head coach Andy Farrell. Gary Ringrose is going to miss the game. He's out with a shoulder injury. Robbie Henshaw starts in his place alongside Bundiaki in the centre. Calvin Nash gets the nod over Jordan Larmer on the right wing. Jack Crowley is as expected at out half. And in the second row, Joe McCarthy is picked over James Ryan. He drops to the bench, a 6-2 split as well on that bench in full. So Ireland, uh, forwards, Andrew Porter, Dan Sheehan, tight Furlong, Joe McCarthy, Tyke Byrne, Peter O'Mahony, Josh van der Fleer and Caelan Doris complete the pack. And then in the back line, Gibson Park and Jack Crowley uh, in the centre, Bundiaki and Robbie Henshaw, Calvin Nash and James Lowe on the wings with Hugo Keenan at full back. The replacements then, Ronan Keller, Kean Healy, tight Furlong, James Ryan, Ryan Baird, Jack Conan are the six forwards and then Connor Murray, and Kieran Frawley making up the two backline replacements. Uh, guys, thanks a million for joining us. We'll we'll go through the the big selections piece by piece and break it down like that as we go. But overall, Birch, I'll come to yourself first, just initial thoughts on, on what Andy Farrell has done, both with the, the people in the starting team and that 6-2 split on the bench.
1: Yeah, I think 6-2 split makes sense uh, when you look at that. That French squad, um, that's certainly the area that um are gonna go under under the most pressure. And obviously they, France have gone six two as well. Um I think I wasn't really, I wasn't aware that Ringrose had such a significant injury until the last couple of days. So I was probably expecting him to play at thirteen. Um but we don't lose anything with Robbie Henshaw and Bundy at Key. There's very little between the three of them. Um I think Calvin Ash. Calvin Nash deserves his opportunity. I think he's been really good for Munster. He wants to play a similar type, um, of of attacking game to Ireland, where he has a license to roam, and I think he's, um, well suited to that. Um, and gets his first Six Nations start, and it's a great opportunity for him. And then Joe McCarthy, uh, you know, I felt he was the form lock, but you never know if they'll if they'll be brave enough to to play him in a game of this magnitude, um but I think that's the right call. The only other debate was, I I felt maybe we'd go with James Ryan alongside him and then Tyburn at six and Peter Manny at seven just because of this set-piece issue um, that started to creak a little bit during the World Cup and obviously their strength there um, and horses-for-courses type selection, but he's gone with Tyburn alongside uh, Joe McCarthy and and his first-choice back row and what's been his first-choice back row probably for the last year is on Mahoney Doris and, and Van der Fleer and maybe he's looking back at that French game in in the Viva last year where we we played a really high tempo game and having a traditional open side like Van der Fleer is is more important but yeah it's it's probably um as expected I think Jack Jack Crowley was 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 always going to be the 10 um and then it's probably only on the bench really it's uh, Connor Man- Conor Murray getting ahead of the nod ahead of um Craig Casey, I think, is um is maybe a little bit surprising. Certainly not, a, it's not a form choice, but um, yeah, that's uh, it's probably as
2: expected, really. Early thoughts, Johnny. Well, I think Birch summed it up very well. I, I think uh, McCarthy. I, I think everyone's looking for him to get a start. It was just we don't have to drop someone, so it was easy for everyone to say a start to him. I did not expect James Ryan to be the one dropped. I think when you're looking at it in the combination of four to eight you had a choice between James Ryan and Van der Fleer. I actually think both of them were playing really well. I mean, like, I think James Ryan would be going and knocking on the door asking questions because I think he's been, you know, he's been doing a, a good second-rose job, like, you know, and um, Van der Fleer, I think it's very easy for people to say, like, you know, he hasn't really reached the heights of his World Player of the Year uh, accolade, but when you see people sharing stats and um, rock arrivals and blast through the rock, it, it might not be a poach, but it's a disruption, then... Um, it's a very hard back five to pick from, and that's you know something that Andy Farrell obviously has the the privilege of doing, and the, it's, a, it's a massive challenge. But I think it was always going to be between James Ryan and Van der Fleer and the others were going to slot in somewhere. I think the the easy thing would be to hold Joe McCarthy back and not play him because you can. You can still hold him back. I think that wasn't the right choice. So, I, you know, he's been, I think just the enthusiasm that he's playing with. I think like he's still making one or two mistakes. You're expecting that when he plays on the edge so much. Like he has, you see there was stats across all the second rows and he probably just had a, but he did have um, a small bit more um, in terms of penalties conceded. But he, I think he's much better in that sense. I think he's conceding less penalties uh, than he did before the World Cup camp, we'll say. Um, and I thought he tightened it up and matured very well across that campaign. Um, so I, th- I think he had to go in there. You know, I think he did. But I'm like Birch, I thought, I thought Pete might have gone to seven. Um, and I think Caelan Doris nearly gets you away with that because he's so good around the breakdown. Maybe he doesn't cover the ground in the way that Van der Fleer might or a traditional open site does. Um, but I think with Doris in around the breakdown, he might have gotten away with that as well. So, look, it's interesting. I think, like Calvin Ash. Calvin Ash is 26 and you feel like he's a young fella coming in for his first Six Nations start. I remember Calvin coming into the academy or in around it when I was coming through the academy and, and senior contract. And uh, he was a hot shot out of school. And he was going to just cruise through this whole system. Like, and I think that's the reality of it. He, he reminds me of Andrew Conway quite a bit in that there's kind of a couple of waves of, of Calvin Nash. And I think this is the, the strongest one. And he's more than um, deserving of his opportunity. But I think even the way he plays the game is very like Conway. Uh, very good in the air. Very dependable. Very nice tight lines, good short uh, steps and good footwork. So like he he gets out of contact, but he did, gets through it as well because he's so strong and compact. You know, so there's a I'm looking forward to seeing him, and I think he's it's not before his time, but obviously like like a lot of people, he's at the way for an injury to get into that squad. Um, but it'll be very hard to see him coming out of it if he has a physical game because he's he's someone that could rack up uh, a lot of Irish caps all of a sudden because he's after getting his opportunity and all. But um, yeah, like Birch said, I think the rest of it is as expected. The combinations of four to eight was very interesting. The rest of it is, you know, less surprising, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll double back on Calvin Ash in a little while, but to to go back on to Joe
0: McCarthy, um, and as we said, like, the fact that he's coming in for James Ryan Birch, uh, I think we were talking about it on the podcast over the last couple of weeks, and I think we'd all kind of settled on what we might have preferred would have been what we were saying earlier on, maybe Josh on the bench and Peter Mahoney going to seven and Ty Burn slipping into the back row, but to to pick him for a for a Six Nations debut, but also to pick him for a Six Nations debut ahead of James Ryan, that's a that's a pretty big vote of confidence from from Andy Farrell, isn't it? Yeah, it's massive. And look, since Joe McCarthy came out
1: of school, where he was a bit of a late developer, like the the talk about him has always been, wait to see this kid, wait to see this kid in, in Trinity. Um, you know, Big Joe when he was only 18, 19 and um any coach or players who, who, who were involved with him were excited by him. And even let's be honest, he got brought into the Irish squad last year, um, without having really been a first choice for, for Leinster. But since that World Cup he's just come back and he's been on fire and um he moves incredibly well. He's a he's a, he has a kind of enthusiasm um for the game that's nearly infectious. You nearly see it Live or on a TV screen, he just really seems to be enjoying himself, and then he has the, the physical capacity to to do uh, or have big impacts, and 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 you know it's really interesting how James Ryan reacts to this. Like what we've seen in the past with him is he, he's incredibly determined. I mean, let's be honest, a month ago, if you were picking talking about the Irish captaincy, James Ryan was was right there in the discussion, and. and and probably will be again, you know, probably will be again, but um Joe McCarthy's there on form and now it's up to, to James Ryan, Ian Henderson to um to displace him or to displace Ty Byrne. But that's healthy, and I think that's the that's where we need to get to and we let's be honest, we don't have that at ten. Um we don't really have that at nine in terms of like someone really putting the gun to Gibson Park's head. Um with injuries, we don't have it uh, on the, on on the wing. Um have no one really pushing Hugo Keenan. Uh we don't have an obvious stand-in for, for Porter. Um so yeah, that, that's the that's the, the the downside of this squad um and the challenge for Farrell over the next uh couple of seasons is to to find more Joe McCarthy's, to find more Jack Crowleys um who can
0: come in and, and start
1: and everybody's excited about what
0: they can do. And Johnny, like I'd say it's also it's not so much even like finding the the quality of player but finding someone with I think like the attitude that Joe McCarthy has shown where he's come in and he's like he hasn't just been patient and waiting for the opportunity he's he's come in and taken the jersey in the last 12 months It, it hasn't been a case of he's he's just slowly gone into camp and done the right things and and waited for the right opportunity to to get a start here or there or get some minutes like this is a case of someone coming in and putting the foot down and, and taking his place in the team.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the part that we're not going to understand really from the inside, uh, or looking in from the outside, is that you know, they have certain roles as well to play in certain systems and you never know what's really going on um, you know, day to day and what their markers are and where they're going to get picked. But I think what Bert said there in terms of like, you know, the enthusiasm, the kind of infectiousness around his game and like the way he just catches your eye so much, like doesn't he? So Watching it from the outside, he catches your eye, and then you obviously have to drill into like what's he really doing? How many ruck arrivals? How many contacts? How many dominant hits? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. What's he doing? What he's doing in the lineout? But I think he's very similar, even though he's there nearly as long and longer than Jack. But Jack was the same when we were asking him to start at ten. It was like he doesn't know any better than to be, you know, this enthusiastic, this confident. Um, you know, if you you kind of you can pick the, the same old soldiers that have. A little bit of baggage coming with them, and I think the best part of Joe McCarthy is he's not really carrying that baggage. He's lost with Leinster, and you know he's been knocked out of the World Cup with Ireland, but he wasn't as front line, you know. And now he's kind of just bringing himself to the fore without uh, without as much of that baggage. I'm not saying that you know James Ryan is showing the signs of that or anyone else's, but like there's that kind of um, fearlessness of youth as well, I suppose. And uh, I think Ryan Baird is bringing the same thing, you know, in his defensive line out uh, the way he runs around the pitch. You know, Bernard said about how well Joe McCarthy moves. Ryan Baird's a freak. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, he's been consumed by Joe McCarthy's enthusiasm because you can't really put all of those into the same team. You're going to be uh, young and maybe less experienced. So you do need the Peter O'Manis of the world to balance that out. You'd love to see um, a situation where Ryan Bar- Baird had to play as well because imagine two of those guys on the pitch. You get uh, you get some galloping runs, I think. But, like, you know, unfortunately for him, Joe McCarthy is the one that really settles in there very easily. Um so, yeah, like that, I think the way Jack came into the team with that, like, lack of fear because he doesn't know any better, I think Joe McCarthy's in the same position and um, doing loads of really good things as well. Like, the way he gets back into the breakdown and disrupts everything after a tackle, his uh, second efforts and all that kind of stuff, which is what they all look for. Um, he's been class. I'm looking forward to seeing him put his marker down now because James Ryan is, you know, tried and tested and breathing down his neck and he won't be taking that one easily, you know.
0: Birch, the, if we're looking at the game itself on on Friday... I would imagine one of the the big things we want to see from from Ireland in compared to to the World Cup is has that lineout been fixed? How confident are you of that?
1: Um not overly to be honest I think um you'd want to see not just Friday night but you'd want to see you know three out of four games or four to five games where we've kind of been consistent there and and also I think just some of our line out issues at provincial level is also maybe made me being a little bit uh, overly negative. I also don't think we've picked uh, the best um line out pack, you know, and that that that's part of the reason why I would have been combining Tyburn and, and James Ryan alongside McCarthy and um and having a Mahoney in there and Doris. So I just think we look at that uh, French back five, uh four out of the five of them are are good lineup operators, and Williams is very good at this disrupting and this, uh, destroying opposition mall. Um, uh, so he knows his, his role within that. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge, and we need to have like you're not if you if you lose a couple, um, over a short period of time away in France historically, that just gives them massive momentum and massive energy, and it, it could be a long night. So, um, I really hope it settles down. I think obviously. Um, we've had whatever two weeks now together. Um, Paul would have been going around the country, you know, having one-on-ones with with players and talking about the little changes they want to make, etc. So, the the brain power is there. You just like to see it just be executed, as I said, um, during this tournament and just build up that confidence again. Uh, because at the moment, if you're playing Ireland, you know you're you're saying let's get after them in the, in the air, let's get bodies up, let's squeeze the gap, um. It's pressure and it's throw to areas that they don't want to throw to, and uh, and, and compete there. So that's that's the challenge. And uh, as I said, this French team on paper, um, and based on previous form, look like they've got four quality line-out operators um, in it, and uh, it'll be a proper test.
0: When you would have look back over the the World Cup, the lineout issues in it, like is there are there clear patterns of what's going wrong? Like, is it a throwing issue? Is it um, is it that there's too much movement before the jump? Is there too little movement in the jump where they're yeah, not? I look at that. Not- this is this is way it's actually worrying. Is there, um, is there a know, pattern there?
1: Yeah, the pattern was like pretty much all the key fundamentals at times, um, seemed to crack, and um, and that's that's what'd be hard to fix because it just seemed to lose that whole cohesion, calmness, uh, speed, speed of movement. Uh, speed of troll in general was was, was was good actually. Um, calling you know, calling into areas where it was obviously risky. Um, and yeah, we're happening in South Africa, um, happening in New Zealand, so yeah, it's just, um, it, w- it was lots of different things. But again, like mid world cup, it can be hard to fix that. Um, with so many other things going on, but I'm sure Paul O'Connell. And and Andy Fire when they reviewed the World Cup, they would have said, "Look, we need to put more time into this to get it back to where it was." And uh, um, yeah, I've I, I I've no doubt that we can do it. Um, and uh, obviously, Pete is a is a very good line and operator, and he he'll back himself to win ball at the front, and he'll be good on defensive ball. But big challenge for Tyburn, um, uh, to, and and Doris even who may become a a, a primary line option
0: for us to. To execute that this weekend. Um, Johnny, looking out towards the back line then to come back around to Gary Ringrose being out and Robbie Henshaw coming in to partner Bundy Aki in the center in the center. Do you think does that change anything from an Irish point of view in terms of how they'll attack the game or how they'll look to attack? Um, like you've got four very, very, very powerful centers there in Aki Henshaw, Dante, and Gail Fiku, the uh the velodrome would be shaking anytime one of the two of those four players come together.
2: Yeah, Dante and Aki in the, in the middle of the pitch is a fright. Like, it's let them play their own game. Let the rest of us get away from them. and let their contacts just stay between the two of them. But I think, like, Dante is very good in the in the breakdown. He's very physical in the middle of the pitch. And I think, you know, if you look at Ireland's attack, what they've been good at in the past, maybe after their initial stint, was... They've been on the front foot in attack in terms of changing their strategy and challenging other teams. And just when teams think that they're used to them, they'll change something and they'll change the whole picture altogether. So I think like I'm expecting that Ireland won't play they won't play a massively different attacking system or structure, but there has to be change there because, you know, that's without Sexton in particular. Like I you know, like I, I I champion Jack Crowley all the time, but like at the same time, he's not Johnny Sexton, at least not yet. And uh you know, there's gonna be a different cohesion there. He's had a lot of time with the team and all the rest of it, but something in there is gonna to have to change as well. Um, because otherwise we're playing the same game as the World Cup and things move on, you know. So teams will be used to previewing Ireland from the World Cup. Yeah, so I expect some bit of change there and some bit of um I'm hoping that when we watch the game, we're going, Oh, that's new, lovely, lovely little strike down the short side or whatever it is like, you know. And we've seen that from them before when they used to do the uh the pot off the nine. And all of a sudden, they're, they're sweeping around the other side and they're going on the short side. So very nice trickery uh, like that in their attack. But then the other thing where I think we can get... Uh, yeah, and there was talk of Gary Ringrose going on to the wing and then you played three centres and Gary Ringrose has been a very good winger. But I think um, for Ireland's development, it's better that he's not playing now. If you're going to go with Henshaw or Ringrose, go one or the other and leave Nash on the wing because I think that's going to be better for developing our, our wing spots in our back three. But if you look at Calvin Nash in the air and Mo not being a winger... They're the ones playing with three centres, uh, well, he's played on the wing. I understand, uh, I don't have much experience of watching him on the wing, but I understand that he has, uh, with club and country to a small degree. But if Nash can get into the air and get ball back off him, that's something that Ireland might, might target as well. Um, but it's geez, they're two, two very good backlines. Like Maxim Luku is just in the shadow of Anton DuPont, like he's an unbelievable player. I spoke to Billy Scannell quite a bit, Billy was in Biritz while. While well, uh, Luku was there, and he said that he's he's a freak, like kicks off both legs, and he just gets no attention because they're dealing with one of the best rugby players in the world, if not you know a generation, like you know. So in Anton Dupont, so um their halfbacks are classed, their midfield is rock solid. Peno is a freak. Ramos uh, does a lot of good things in games. He can be a bit wild and unstructured, but in France, it's going to work out for him. So maybe Mo has a bit of a an area that they'll see if they're weak in the backline. Can we go on to him at some stage? But. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a difficult one, especially if they don't break down that midfield.
0: Yeah, and Birch, Moifana over Louis Biel was the, the the selection that kind of jumped out. Everyone was instantly their eyes going towards Luku because that's the the gap that Antoine Dupont oh. has left. But Moifana on the wing, what what does that kind of what does that indicate, or what do you think it? Yeah, like- I look, I, I think it's a it's a reflection on uh, Bia
1: Barry's problems under the high ball against uh, the Springboks in the in the quarter final led to two tries and a couple of key turnovers. He just didn't didn't dominate the air. I don't think Mafana is a brilliant aerial uh, winger as well, and he's been playing um, pretty much all of his rugby um, at twelve uh, for Bordeaux, where he's been part of a, a you know a brilliant backline with. With obviously Penno and um, Luku and and Jalibert, who are all playing for Bordeaux and now playing for France this weekend, so there's a bit of continuity in that for them from the same backline. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's probably a bonus for Ireland. Um, because I don't think he, he well he obviously doesn't have anywhere near as much pace, and I think pure pace is something that Ireland uh, potentially could could struggle with. Uh, now obviously on the other wing, you know Penno is. Is ridiculous, but I just think it's a it's a conservative decision. Uh Galtier had the the bravery to to launch Beabari in, you know, inexperienced in in in, in the greatest show uh, and the pressure and in in general he did he did quite well. Look, it's a, it's a very good South African uh, kicking game we know, and and yeah, he had his difficulties, but um I think he's been pretty good for for Bordeaux in the air and uh, on the ground, and um, I think that's a bonus for Ireland. Um, that he's out. Um, but yeah, I just when I saw that French team, to be honest, I, I look at obviously uh, Miafu's injured, so Wilmsley gets called back. Um, but the uh, the strength and depth having Dante face you know the form of Penos in. Uh, I I, I think Jellybirds and and Luku as a combination are extremely dangerous, and um they ripped apart Connacht Um, you know in, the, in one of the uh of the European Cup and and. Um, the back row, Aldridge has come back from his little bit of a break. He's been outstanding. Olivia Olivier Ancraw. um, Antonio, Antonio basically changed his mind about retiring. Uh, Movac has gone from being a replacement, coming on to give impact to being a 60-minute player. And now they have uh, Mark back, which obviously was a blow from during the World Cup. And then, Nolan Lagarac. I mean, Luka was class. But when that game breaks up and people get tired, and uh, Nolan Lagarac, uh, Rassi 92, Nine um is incredibly dangerous. So yeah, uh, Boudinnet as well from La Rochelle is a very good six. Um, so yeah, I, on paper, I, I think France look very very strong. And if we're, if we're to win this, um, uh, away from home in Marseille, I think it'd be an unbelievable result for us. And like that's not saying Ireland are a very good side, but I just think um, given we're starting a new cycle to get off the, um get off to a, a start with a win over this French team Um, I think it would be a, a huge result for Randy Farrell
0: yeah, in short they're, they're no mugs essentially France <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll come back around Johnny to, to Calvin Nash, you spoke about a little bit earlier on and kind of seeing him when he was just kind of first coming through with Munster and uh, that was something I wanted to talk about as well because it was last night when I was looking through a few bits it was you'd kind of, you could easily forget that like Calvin Nash and Jordan Larmer started on the left and right wings for the same Ireland under-20 team. Uh, They're both 26 years old. Jordan Larmer I think is two months older than Nash. And Jordan Larmer is, has won 30 caps and all of those coming up till, you know, up until two years ago. So, and then you've Calvin Nash who's come in in the last six, seven, well, the last 12 months I suppose since he got his his call-up, but it just kind of goes to show the the two very different paths players can follow and how development doesn't just follow the same path. You know, one player can develop at a, at a very different rate to another, even when they're both prodigious talents coming through at the age of 18 or 19 years of age into academies. Yeah, it
2: is. And I think for someone like Calvin, you know, he's a confident lad. Like, I mean, I'm sure when he was coming out of school, he would have thought that, of Jordan Armour's trajectory you know and uh and he probably was on on track for that I don't know what happened in between but um Jordan Armour has uh, he's been in and out and he's never really cemented it and you know you'd see his footwork is incredible and he he was very hard to stop and then you look at like is he going forward or he's beating eight tacklers where is he going and that's you know I, I love watching him I think he's he's classed to watching beating defenders and stuff. But like beating defenders isn't actually the outcome. It's, it's going forward towards the try line, isn't it? Um, And I think what, what Calvin Ash does very well, earls used to it. it, um, Conway did it when they beat him and they're forward and they're through the next kind of line. And that's what Calvin Ash is doing. And maybe there's small bits and pieces within that. I think Jordan Larimer, um kind of blotted his copybook once or twice in the air as well, defensively when he went into 15. There's loads of opportunities, but I I think it's... Harsh on him, he's playing really good rugby, you know. So, I've been kind of uh, I've been quite harsh on him there because he's actually playing a lot of good rugby with Enster. But I do think Calvin Ash is the form choice. I think he's he's been really good, his fundamentals are class, um, and he's he's fully worked uh, his start. But like you said, the development is different, like you know, he's had to wait a long time, even in a good trajectory in the last 12 months. You know, he was probably feeling hard done by being left out of the, the World Cup squad, you know. So, I do wonder if this was like at a different stage in this. You know, I actually don't like talking about the workup cycle anymore because I've learned that it's not a four-year thing anymore, is it? It must be broken up or it's too long and things change. But, you know, if this was year four of it and you had a Jordan Larmer and and Calvin Ash, would Andy Farrell be going with fellas who've been around the squad a lot more and would Larmer get in? I'm not sure because he he obviously backed Calvin Ash to get into the squad last year as well. Um, But I like the fact that we've had to change a few things. Maybe it's because of injury, but I like the fact that it has to change because by the time, you know, 2025 and 2027 come around you know Mac Hansen will still be there and someone else will still be there so now we'll have Calvin Ashwood hopefully 10 plus more caps under his belt as well at that stage you know so we got more options but yeah the development is funny because you see that at underage as well they develop different stages just because a fella doesn't play under 18 schools or under 20s doesn't mean he's not going to get into the international side um, later on in his career and he developed through the club as well and I, I do think there's probably people you know even at Luce and different positions that are just back at their club developing now like they probably still would be in the in the thought process but they're better off just developing a bit more in their club and uh, and the, the the development curve would be different for them as well so like I don't expect it to be the same thing in 2025 or so um, but Calvin Ash is a very exciting one I can't wait to see how he gets on and I'm like I, I hope he does uh, break the door down now and put himself firmly in that position
0: Yeah and Barchik like, he had to be very very patient at Munster where when he came in initially like you look at the players who were ahead of him: Keith Earls, Andrew Conway, Simon Zeba would have been there initially when he came through. Then Mike Haley arrives in. Like there was a lot of there was a lot of heavyweight wing talent ahead of him.
1: Yeah, there was, and and probably I'm sure he had doubts. I'm sure he thought about maybe moving on somewhere else to get more game time. But he he stuck to it, and and also I think he probably kind of, coincided with Munster changing how they play. And I agree, he's brilliant at chasing kicks, etc. And, and that's one of the reasons why. He's probably got the nod, but I think the other parts of his game is work right off the ball, his footwork, etc. And it's very similar to how Ireland play. And he, he's probably not, look, he's not he's not a Damien Penneau in terms of um, try-scoring um, ability, but very few wingers are. But the way Ireland play should suit him, and I think that's a real opportunity for him. And he's going to go from a system that's quite similar in Munster to Ireland. And, yeah, look at um uh we need we need more depth and, and and we need fellas to come a little bit left field and he's come a little bit slower slower through to through to the, 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 the top but now he's there and he's on form he must have massive confidence as well the way things have been going for him. So um it'd be great to see him uh you know have a really good debut and, and build on it.
2: Even that uh the out he's out the back of the, the, the pot of three mm. he turns the corner is he's, he's very comfortable on the ball, not as like elusive as Mack Hansen maybe but they're both as comfortable in possession you know so he's doing that a lot with Munster isn't he where he's getting on the ball if uh, if Jack or the 10s aren't around he's there and he's stepping up to first receiver he's getting in behind that that pot a lot and when, when he gets there like he, his positioning is really nice he's so tucked and he just appears at the last minute so he's obviously been doing a lot of work at that but he's a he's a clever player you know I think if he's got work guns and he's getting on the ball and he's running these lines that's why he reminds me of Conway or like you know Doug Ola was the teacher in Munster for a long time in terms of how to hide for so long but those wingers seem to be getting really good at it, and he's he's definitely someone that will get himself into dangerous positions if he's given the freedom within the Irish system, like Birch has said. You know, to get into the Mac Hansen role and just go roaming. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see him on Friday night. Um, let's talk Jack Crowley then, because
0: it's his tenth cap. It's it almost feels like a second debut because we're obviously into this post Johnny Sexton era. Um, Birch, given the size of the occasion and. You know, you're starting a new World Cup cycle. It's it's probably hard to expect a perfect performance out of him this weekend. But what do you what do you want to see from him? Even if it isn't even if it isn't ten out of ten lights out. What is the what are the the, the pillars you want to see?
1: Um, basically just what he does all, all the time. He seems to take responsibility. He seems calm. Um, good variety in his game. I'm not I'm not overly worried about uh, about him. look at, um, he'll function. If we get good ball, uh, Jack Crowley will will make good use of us. Um, and if we're under the pump, you know I wouldn't expect him to to be rider right overs. He's the best ten in Ireland at the moment, on form. Um, and obviously his age profile is is phenomenal. Um, and I think he's uh he's going to be there thereabouts for for a long time. So uh, just do what he do do what he does most weeks for for Munster um and then for the Irish in their twenties before that and Corcon. Um he's always been a very accomplished uh player and seems to have the the mentality to match. So yeah, I, I I just think now's his chance. And it was funny, I only heard the other day that when he got his first start for Ireland he actually ended up having to wear Sexton's jersey. Um oh, yeah. there's well, I didn't I didn't know that. And now obviously he looks like he's in prime position to to replace him. So um there's a nice um a nice link there, but no, it's now it's about him. And look at he's not gonna be Johnny Sexy, he's not gonna be Ron Nagar, he's not gonna be Eric Elwood. Um you know, he'll he'll be himself and he'll he'll do it his own way. And uh that's why I'm certainly excited to to watch him and uh not have too many too much expectation, but he um I think he can become uh an
0: incredibly important player for, for Ireland. And Johnny, like you, I think you kind of hinted at it earlier on as well. How important is it that he doesn't try to go out and be a Johnny
2: Sexton tribute band? Yeah, like I think, you know, Jack has matured quite a bit as well, even though, you know, he's he's young, so he didn't need to mature before his time. But like he he's not going to go and try and win the game on his own now. I think the most important part is that he just plays people around the pitch. Uh, and he he has his moments with Monster, like he'll have a, he'll have a chip and he'll have He'll have a bit of a break or whatever he does. Like, you know, he, he'll definitely have his moments, but he needs to control the kicking game, especially with France. You know, you see the Sean Edwards clip during the week. Uh, they're going to kick the ball and they're going to kick it out of their half. So I think he just needs to make sure he doesn't get bored within that and just put his team with their own strategies into the right areas of the pitch and just allow fellas to flow around the pitch because it's going to be a hard enough battle at the game line and a hard enough battle at set-piece that he just needs to make sure that they creep over the game line as much, as many times as possible. But it's interesting, like I only thought of it there as we're speaking he nearly went to La Rochelle, like you know the he's and now he's a front runner, like for a fella to back himself like that, because I think there was a lot of thought out there that you know you're behind a lot here, you know, take the opportunity to work under Raj in a different country and decent contract and all that. Like the, there was people talking about that, you know, and all of a sudden Jack was like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'll I'll kazump Ben Healy and I'll get into this and I'll get into that, and all of a sudden he's a front runner with with not much challenge, but at the same time, you know, when you. Like Frawley hasn't been backed by Leinster, but I think he is backed within this Irish system. We saw that before he got a couple of injuries that he was backed within that system. So, you know, if Jack can manage him around the pitch and all that, I think he will be the front runner. I don't think there'll be much of a challenge. But if he starts to creak, uh, for all, he will come in and he'll he'll control that game. So, like you you kind of touched on it there, it's like a second debut. You see that a lot with, with players, that's like second season syndrome. For him, it's not a second season, but it kind of is with Ireland. Like, you know, he had the Australia game in November. He had a good run of it before the World Cup, but this is like a new wave of him now. And uh, he needs to not maybe be on the same um, graph as what he was on, because you can't stay on that graph. Uh, maybe maybe one or two people can, but like, you know, realistically he's not going to stay on that graph, but he needs to keep trending upwards or there will be a challenger all of a sudden. And as he knows more than anyone else, the the landscape can change for the better or the worse. So he um, he needs to just control things, keep him on the front foot, win the kicking game, or at least compete in that with France. And, uh, He's going to, I have no doubt that he'll be calm under pressure in there as well. He's got a, he's got a weird confidence in times where you doubt yourself that he just flows through it. Like Bert said, you know, he played with Karkhan, stepped up to that level, didn't really have any fear, which you wouldn't expect him to step up at Munster. He's just a player that finds the same level as what he's playing at. You know, he'll be, he could be a lion and he'll just play. You know, he just, He'll just keep going with that. You kind of have to have that for an out-half as well, don't you? Just that that complete self-confidence. Yeah, you do. Like, I mean, there's enough of us that played in that position that question ourselves more than the nice, but fellas like Jack would would kind of teach you a lesson that you know you don't have much time to be going around questioning yourself because the whole lot of the rest of the um, the team are relying on you putting putting them into the right position. So he he's unreal. really like he's not cockier by any means. He's he probably wouldn't even call himself confident. Sometimes that like exudes out of the person and they don't even realize it. But I think that's the case with him because he's very down to earth. Works extraordinarily hard. Like, but. Um, People feel confidence from him, which is the most important thing in his position. That the players around him think that he's confident, at least because they'll go with him. And vice like, would it fill you with a bit of confidence
0: or or assuredness, knowing that he's got pretty good experience around him in that backline there, where Jameson Gibson Park is starting inside him, and he's got Bundyaki and Robbie Henshaw outside his shoulder. No, I think it's it's ideal, and
1: obviously he picked up a lot of. Um, time with those lads in November, the Six Nations last year, um, World Cup camp. And he, he has to feel very comfortable now around that Irish setup up and, and his, his right to be there. And, um, yeah, look at the, at the back row his experience. It's a very experienced Irish team. And, um, you know, he's, he's also, when you compare him to some of the, the, the lads who play Test Rugby for France... He he's very experienced, and um, and we're a little slower to put them in there, uh, and and there could be long term value in that, or it could be something that's holding us back. But uh, I, I I don't think he'll be overly um, uh, worried about about being having a right to be on that field, and that's uh, uh, that's exactly what, what the way he should feel because he, he has
0: proven himself to be of that quality. Right, we're getting down into the, the very very final minutes here. For predictions. Um, A couple of other games. We'll touch on them very, very quickly. Saturday, we've got Wales against Scotland. If Birch, when you look around at the Six Nations this year and the amount of change there is in various teams, whether it's coaching or captains or out-haves being gone, uh Scotland probably have the most continuity out of everyone. If they've got England and France at home this year, if they're ever... If the stars are ever aligning for Scotland to actually go and do something, should this be the year for, for them to do it? I'm not saying will they, but yeah. are, are the pieces falling into place for them to if they have it within themselves to take advantage? Yeah, obviously it's a
1: it's 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 one of their better chances, but uh I, I certainly wouldn't be backing them to, to do anything uh, massive. Um but I, I think the biggest point is it's pretty much now or never or like or certainly over the next two or three years because age grade rugby in Scotland is an absolute disaster and obviously the um the project player rule, you know, if you look at the number of project players coming in, it was it was six, seven years ago where, you know, they went really went aggressively and, and targeted that which was and then it was a three year um qualification period. There's not as many project players coming into Scotland and as I said, they're under twenties, under eighteens are just way off the level. So you'd be worried about Scott Scottish Rugby and, and this generation, um, and, and this year next year, maybe the year after squad of the push, they'll have to do something or um it looks like there's dark years ahead of them.
0: Yeah, I think now or never is the good way to to sum it up as you said. And then quickly then England. I'm I'm struggling to get a read on them. Did they overachieve at the World Cup? Did are, are they going to be much better, you know, with the, the addition of Time to actually prepare the Steve Bortwick didn't have last year. Felix Jones coming in as well, and then that's also offset by the fact that there's no Owen Farrell and you know they've lost a couple of high-profile players to to international retirements. Um, what what are your general thoughts on England coming into this? Because I'm I'm struggling to
2: get a read on them. I'm interested to see how they do. Yeah, I, obviously they had a decided a draw that we've all been complaining about for a long time, but they they worked their way through the. The World Cup, and we're, we're building an identity with that. And they were comfortable with what that was. But I think Steve Borkwick has had more time. They're after starting their rebuild, if you want to put it that way, <laughs> in a World Cup year. So before everyone else, I think they're probably further down the track. They should be a much more competitive Six Nations side. I actually do have fears over them being very good. Um, <laughs> because they don't want them to be as good. I want Ireland obviously to be better than them. Um, but I do think they'll be. You know, if you look at who's going to win it, Ireland and France were a runaway last year. You didn't think anyone was going to touch them. It was the first game of both six, the Six Nations in the last two years. Um, France beat Ireland and won it. Ireland beat France and won it. I think they'll. England will start to close that gap a small bit more. Um, especially with the continuity of Steve Steve Wartwick. Yeah, they they missed a couple like a couple of players in and out. Uh, and Marcus Smith isn't any. Greater news for them, but I do think they're gonna start well and I think they'll um they'll challenge for it.
0: How close do you think Birch England will be to, to Ireland and France? They do have a nice schedule yeah. um, where they can build themselves in. It's it Ireland and France are their, their final two games. Uh, I think it's Italy and Wales are their first two. So like there there is an opportunity to to get a nice little bit of momentum moving through the tournament.
1: Yeah, I would be worried with them, to be honest. Um uh I think that they, they've that semi final defeat to South Africa. They actually ironically finished the World Cup probably feeling a little bit better about themselves than France and, and Ireland. Um Bortwick got the job late. It was literally just get to this World Cup, get the best possible result out of it. Uh players are taking more ownership. Um, you know, even even around contracts, there's now they've got rid of the, the, the player agency. It's uh it's Jamie George, Alice Kenji etc. who are negotiating on their behalf. They're talking about Improving the Twickenham experience, being more open, kind of copying a little bit what what Farrell the culture he created, um, and have some decent talent, and the premierships got better. So yeah, I'd be I'd be very respectful of England this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that uh, they're playing Italy first up uh, this weekend on Saturday. Um, Wales against Scotland will be the live game on RT Two and RT Player on Saturday afternoon. That kicks off four forty five. Um, France and Ireland is on RT Radio One. Uh, 8pm Irish time kickoff. Uh, for that live commentary. Final calls then guys who wins between first of all France and Ireland? Johnny I'll give you the honour. France Birch? France and who wins the Six Nations? France France, <laughs> France all the way okay well fingers crossed you're wrong and yeah. uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about that next week. Bernard and Johnny thanks a million for joining us and uh, we'll be back with the RT podcast this time next week